Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Hi, this is Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. There are many life changes that can happen after divorce that make it difficult or impossible to uphold requirements of your divorce decree. The orders issued in a divorce are based on the facts presented at that time, but the circumstances used in issuing those orders can obviously change. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. Celebrates connections made by music this summer. Find out more at 3.ae forward slash music. Hey, what's up, Pelicans fans? You are listening to the Bird Rights here on Nothing But Net Network on Dash Radio. For more breakdowns on the Pelicans, including interviews with coaches, journalists, and opposing experts, go to iTunes right now, search the Bird Rights, and subscribe today. I'm Scott Trout, CEO of the domestic litigation firm Cordell & Cordell. We help men deal with the life changes triggered by divorce, such as child custody and property division, among many others. But life changes also occur after divorce. These changes can make parts of your existing court order irrelevant or harder to follow. If you feel a modification to your court orders might be necessary, talk to us at Cordell & Cordell. We're a partner men can count on. Contact CordellCordell.com, 1065 East Hillsdale Boulevard, Suite 310, Foster City, California, 94404. To the bird calls. I'm your host, Preston Nelson. Today, we are recapping, we are previewing, and we are talking trade deadline and buyouts and much more with our familiar guest, David Grubb of Crescent City Sports. What is up, my friend? I'm doing well. I'm always glad to be here with you. You sound fantastic as always. And new to the pod, Mr. Andrew Smith of Bourbon Street Shots. Nice to finally have you on, sir. Oh, glad, glad you guys are having me, man. Thanks for bringing me on. Oh, man, it's our pleasure. We're really excited. This is a good group. Uh, just before we proceed, I just want to give a special shout out to Kevin, who can't be with us today, and especially Ali. Ali got some great news, so really happy for him. Uh, just just wanted to throw our support out there. We won't dive into it any bit more than that, but uh, just want to give our love and support to that guy. Glad everything is working out. Again, you guys can follow Andrew at Drew Productions, that's D-R-U Productions, and at Bourbon Street Shots to get all his latest work, and David Grubb at D-M Grubb and at Crescent City Sports. Let's go, guys. The Pelicans can't seem to win four games in a row. It's hilarious. After uh, a decisive victory over Portland, the Pels went to extra innings to defeat both the Knicks and then more recently the Celtics before they fell to Atlanta Hawks, who have the second-worst record in the NBA, which was inevitable, I guess. The story was Anthony Davis putting up 126 in 135 minutes through those three wins before being held to just eight points against the Hawks. Completely inexplicable. But other storylines include the great play of Drew Holiday, the diminishing minutes to Rajon Rondo, the lack of depth at pretty much every position, and another lackluster third quarter, nearly topping the nine points against Memphis last week, which is 10 against Atlanta. Let's start with Andrew being our new guest. What was your main takeaway from uh, this past week's events? Well, first of all, I think three and one isn't that bad if you're going to talk about just the last four games. But it sucks so much after coming out and beating Boston and then just having this terrible, terrible second half against Atlanta. But that's that's the Pelicans for you. Like I always say, just flip a coin with the, with this team. You never know what's, who's going to show up. Yeah, absolutely. Let's throw it over to David. Um, they had a 19-point lead in the first half. And, and you know, we've been talking about uh, the Pelicans being consistently inconsistent. Uh, like Andrew just said, you can flip a coin. But 
But we also have to ask the question, you know, Anthony Davis, like I said, played 135 minutes the previous three games. Drew Holiday and DeMarcus Cousins are league leaders in minutes played. What what do you attribute the, the second half sloppiness to thus far this season? Is it guys just taking their foot off the pedal when they see a 19-point lead? Do you think it's a bit of fatigue? Do you think it's a bit of both? What's what's causing the team to slow down so significantly? I posted something on Twitter last night. According to TeamRankings.com, the Pelicans offensively are first in the NBA in the first half. They're 21st in the second half. And also you can attribute a lot of that to Rajon Rondo having heavier minutes in the first half. But what do you attribute it to, David? Yeah, I think it's multiple factors. Um, you know, Alvin Gentry is still trying to find a rotation that he's comfortable with. Uh, you know, we've seen a lot of adjustments, especially with the guard rotation. Obviously, there's not too much he can do with the front court. Um, but with the guard rotation, seeing Ian Clark take on more minutes, Jameer Nelson's role changing. Um, and, and I think, you know, the guard play is the biggest indicator of, of what they do offensively when the guards are not shooting, when they're not involved in the offense. Um, you know, you see these dead parts with Etwan Moore where he's not able to, to cut to the basket and becomes exclusively a three point shooter. Or we see moments when Dar- we see games where Darius Miller um, may not get the same number of shot attempts from night to night when he should probably be when he should be the primary bench scorer. So I think you have those rotational issues. I think fatigue certainly plays a part of it. When you have four guys in your starting lineup who are averaging at least 32 minutes and three who are averaging more than 36 minutes, um, I think that's a a problem, uh, especially as the season gets into the later stages uh, when we know that guys like Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, and Drew Holiday have sketchy injury histories in their past, though Drew has been pretty healthy the last two seasons. you know, I, I think that there's just a number of issues at play. And I think part of it, too, is the mental um, issues that the that this team has had all season long in maintaining focus. Um, and when you don't play good defense, you allow other teams to set the tempo and the tone. And particularly in the second half, we've seen that this team does not play well with leads. They've blown. Um, I, I'm sure, you know, I wish I could count the number of double digit leads that the Pelicans have given away this season. Well, I can tell you uh, from uh, a recollection, I think Will Gullery was the one who posted this back in early December. The Pelicans at one point went 15 days where in five games they led by double digits and lost each of those five games. An incredible statistic. Uh, I, I want to continue with this with this story of lack of uh, of depth right now. It's, it's a popular topic with the trade deadline approaching and buyout candidates starting to reveal themselves. Andrew, when, when we talk about the depth of the Pelicans, uh, one of the strengths early in the season against teams like Los Angeles and Sacramento uh, was our hero in shining armor, Jameer Nelson, who recently has fallen off a cliff. He's played his way out of the starting lineup. Also, you can attribute a lot to that. Uh, back in October and November, he was playing alongside Drew Holiday, which helped inflate his numbers. But now playing the bulk of his minutes alongside Ian Clark. He's just been a disaster. He's shooting 22% from the field, 16.7% from three. And then on top of that, Etwan Moore and Darius Miller are knockdown shooters who shot 57 and 55% respectively in the months of December and uh, and November. This month, both of them have had a pretty dramatic drop-off, still respectable 34% for Etwan Moore and 37% from Darius Miller, but just well below the numbers that uh, got the Pelicans to the number one three-point shooting team in the league when they faced the, the Nets. Andrew? What what? Let's start with Jameer Nelson. What has happened to him to make his numbers drop so significantly? Is it pairing him next to Ian Clark? Is he just slowing down at the age of thirty five? What do you think's happening? Well, like Dave said earlier on, it's a lot of lineup changes, and the guy's just probably just not that great. You know, with his age going up, this team this team's depth is is so bad right now. Like we're only playing about seven guys that you can really trust. We're playing about eight guys in the last couple of games. And everyone has to be exhausted. You can't trust Jameer. You can't trust uh Dante Cunningham. On occasion we're trusting Rondo with with very, very limited minutes and situationally. This team just doesn't have the pieces for a guy like Jameer who needs specific things around him to to to, to exceed. Uh, early on, he came on and he had a great start in his first game, and he led the team to that win uh, against Elliot uh, was, I believe. But honestly, I have no idea what you should do for 
Jameer if you want him to play at that level again. I don't think that he's capable of playing at that level consistently with this team. Well, uh, David, we're we're going to talk some lineups now uh, before we specifically get to Rajon Rondo and his effect. That's been a, a popular story on Twitter lately. His on-off numbers, offensive versus defensive ratings. But first, let's let's talk a bit. Actually, let's stick to Rajon Rondo. So everybody's talking about his on-off numbers. Uh, when you pair him and Demarcus Cousins on the court at the same time, the defensive rating plummets. And Rajon Rondo, obviously not a shooter, but his his great passing and his uh, floor general type leadership has led the Pelicans to a slightly better offensive rating, but just his, his negative defensive rating has, has made him unplayable in certain situations with Ian Clark getting the bulk of his uh, closer minutes at this point and Ian Clark doing a, a, a much more efficient job of solving that, that problem on the defensive end. How, how many minutes do you expect? Uh, I want to say a 32 year old Rajon Rondo to continue getting with the Pelicans. Do you think he's one of those, uh, one of those guys who who starts the game, gives you a solid like 15 minutes in the first half, maybe five minutes in the second half, and and we really don't see him in the fourth quarter for the remainder of the season in most scenarios. So right now with the situation with Rondo, I believe uh, a lot of times when he's getting benched, I think the fans have the perception that it's because Rondo is playing poorly, which isn't always the case. A lot of times when Rondo's getting benched and pulled and having his minutes fluctuate so drastically, it's because the way that other teams can defend the Pelicans when you have Rondo on the floor. It's 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 not realistic to say just give Rondo the ball every single time down the floor and make someone shoot off of his pass. He's going to have to play off ball, and when he is off ball, whoever else has the ball, whether it's Drew Holiday, Anthony Davis, DeMarcus Cousins, anytime they go into the paint, they're going to get doubled. And when this team gets in those slumps, that we've seen over and over again where they can't hit a three for whatever reason and they need to go into the paint, you can't have Rondo in. And if they're down, you also can't really have Rondo in or it's very tough to put Rondo in because the impact on defense and the lack of shooting. So Rondo's situation is so tough because, yes, he he gives you this really good playmaking and he's good to start the game to get everyone into their motion. But once they're in their motions – or they get down, you need to bring in another shooter or another guy with size that can probably help you on the defensive end, which really isn't anything on this team. They have nothing on defense. But even Ian Clark will give you more than Rondo. You know, that's what makes it so tough for Rondo's minutes and why everything is so random with him right now. You only see him win late in the game where we need this pass like you saw like we saw in the last game against Atlanta. He inbounded the game after pretty much not playing since the third quarter. Andrew, let me ask you this. Uh, I, I was kind of thinking of Rajon Rondo in this scenario, like a, a running back by committee type approach where he becomes this situational guy that you insert when the advantage behooves you. And if you don't, then you play someone like a, a, a Jameer Nelson or Ian Clark. Do you think that's where he is in his career? Or do you think his his minutes just need to be managed correctly so that he's not playing too too often. He can keep fresh, maybe put a little more uh effort in defensively. What what is the what is the best way to solve this Rajon Rondo dilemma at this point in the season? Well, it's interesting that you say uh about him putting an effort defensively. Defensively, when he's on smaller guys, he's not that bad. You, we've seen a game in Boston where he actually played pretty well on Kyrie. In that first half, I think he held Kyrie to something like three points. Uh, that might not be it exactly, but it was something incredibly low. But when he goes against bigger guards like Dennis Schroeder in Atlanta, which, you know, Atlanta's a terrible, terrible team, but they have some pretty big guards. And I believe at one point he had to guard uh, Kent Bazemore, which wasn't working out at all. So you have to pull him. And unless he figures a way to – has a growth spurt. Has a growth spurt at 32 years old. I'm not really sure uh, how he can make a bigger impact than he is on the defensive end. He kind of is what he is. Yeah. Okay. And so, sorry. Go ahead. That you brought uh, with him being situational. Uh, I I agree. And it's not. Again, I don't think there's much that he can do unless he finds a a spark in his three point shot. I'm not sure what else he can do to not be a situational guard for the Pelicans. I don't know if that's what he will be for every team in the league, but for the Pelicans, that's definitely what he is right now. 
All right, let's let's talk the best way to get these guys some rest. Obviously, we've got, you know, Dante Cunningham and Darius Miller coming off the bench alongside Jameer Nelson and Ian Clark. But Alvin Gentry just has not been utilizing Omar Ashik and Czech Diallo. And it's it's hard to blame him because at some points when those guys come out on the floor, they've been a disaster and the other team is allowed to go on runs. There was even one scenario where the Pelicans were up by, I can't remember what it was. It was a month ago. They were up by 25, 30 points, and he inserted both of them. Oh, I remember. Lineup. Yeah, I, I think <laughs> that was against the Nuggets. Yeah. Was that the 25 assist game for Rondo? Oh, I think you're right. Uh, 25 assist I, game. I believe it was. That's why he had to come back in because yeah. that lineup played so poorly. <laughs> it dropped from about a 30-point lead to a 15-point lead, and I don't I, I want to yeah. say about four minutes or something. So, obviously, it's very difficult to, to find somebody to come in and keep Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins from – playing over 40 minutes per game let's go over to david david can you hear us now yes excellent let's let's talk the best way for uh it took otherworldly performances from anthony davis to beat the the new york knicks and the boston celtics and of course he played over 40 minutes against the trailblazers as well how how can we give these guys some rest and these guys i'm referring to demarcus cousins and anthony davis and how can we beat teams like the hawks without getting otherworldly performances from these all-star starters on a night in night out basis that's that's the biggest concern, I think, is that, you know, a lot of the, the Pelicans wins have required either DeMarcus or Anthony to put up historic level numbers. Um, and that means that your offense is out of balance. Uh, you know, those nights where Drew becomes uh, less effective, uh, where he's stuck in the 14 to 16 point range or when each one is is not getting his normal shots. Um, You know, I think that goes back to the offensive flow. And a lot of that has to do with um, DeMarcus's uh, dominance of the ball on occasion. Um, And then, again, that lack of depth, uh, the the inability to have someone and be be that consistent scorer off the bench or to just do the dirty work to create isolation opportunities for Drew to get into the paint. Um, We see that when he does get those and he gets to the free throw line, he's more effective. So I don't really know how they mitigate that. It seems like it's type right. performances. But how many do you have um, in any player over the course of a year when that's what's being asked of you? It's one thing when those come in the flow of a game, but it's another when you know you have to do it. And and that's a burden that both Cousins and, and Davis are carrying. Yeah, and you can definitely see the frustration on their face at times, whether it be fatigue or just uh, I don't I don't know desperation at the fact that they they do have to run up and down the court for forty minutes or more every single game in order to get these victories. Andrew, are are we ever going to see a Pelicans team this season in which one of both Anthony Davis or Demarcus Cousins are not on the court in in a situation that isn't like you said garbage time? Unless one of them. God forbid, gets injured. <laughs> I don't see it happening because this team has just such such little depth and such such few guys that you can trust. You know, we just spoke about that moment um, where they tried to get them some rest in garbage time, and we end up blowing a major lead. Like it's these guys are going to just have to get rest in spurts. Uh, I wish that this team had a bench that wasn't a a sparking bench, but just a bench that can defend well enough to where they won't blow a lead. Defense is the team's biggest issue by far with turnovers being uh, being the second issue. But this team's defense is pitiful. If this team had an average defense or even a slightly below average defense when AD and Boogie are out, I don't think there would be an issue at all getting these guys rest. But you can't trust them to get stops or go on runs when those guys are outside, when those guys are uh, off the floor. So unless one of them, unless one of them gets hurt, you, they need to, they're going to need to play 40 minutes and, and able to compete. All right, David, let's talk about some positives. Obviously that victory over the Celtics has to be a, a staple of one of their better uh, all around performances this season. And, and we got to see a glimpse with that three game win streak again of what this Pelicans team can be they move themselves all the way up to the fifth seed just half a game back of the thunder at the fifth seed actually but uh we'll, we'll say it's the same thing they were in the sixth seed for for a few days now they're back at the seventh seed there's there's a jumble of teams uh at five through nine but the pelicans have everything they need to put it all together we just need to find them a bit more depth and they've gotten a, a bit of luck with this 
disabled player exception that they got uh, for the Alexa Agensa mysterious injury that uh, that seems to just just keep going throughout the the remainder of the season. It doesn't look like we're going to see him again. And of course, trade chatter is is chirping away. Uh, we've got some buyout uh, people that we've been hearing about. Uh, Andrew Bogut most recently was waived by the Los Angeles Lakers. He's a, a person who could come in and do some of that thing that we were talking about, spell Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins for even a few minutes. Some of the other players mentioned as possible trade candidates for the New Orleans Pelicans at some, some point this season were Evan Fournier, Greg Monroe, uh, Miritich, Robin Lopez, Reggie Jackson. David, the Pelicans are obviously a couple of depth pieces away from being a consistent winner and really solidifying themselves as a fifth-seeded team in the West. Is Do you have your eye on anyone specifically who can come in and upgrade this bench for the Pels? Well, I mean, like you said, there are a number of players that you, you may want this year. Here's my issue. This is not a championship team this year, no matter who you add. And given the team's financial situation, um, you know, that works in your favor. And we know that that's hard with the the players that you have available to trade um, to get something that doesn't cost you um, long-term flexibility, especially with your first-round draft picks. My thought increasingly has become stand pat with this group. You're going to have a bunch of guys that that are coming off the books um, at the end of the season and then try to upgrade at the end of the year for next year. I think the most important thing for this group, um, as we get into this point of the season, we, we know that this is essentially a 500 team. They may finish a couple of games above, three, four, five games above, but essentially this group is a 500 team. I don't think you go all in with a 500 team. If you were a top three seed in the West and you needed a part to get you to the Western Conference Finals, I think I'd be more willing to go all in. But with this team, it's about next year and the year after. For for the management, it's about this year because they're trying to keep their jobs. But for the long-term health of this team, there unless you can find a deal or get somebody off of the, the waiver wire or off the street who can help you, which Dell has been pretty good at over the years, I don't think it's worth mortgaging the future to maybe get to a fifth or a fourth seed and still be eliminated in the first or second round. Andrew, what's your take on this? Obviously, the Pelicans are in a situation where they could maybe offload Ajinsa or Ashik for more bad salary, but maybe that salary is a bit more useful than these guys, but it, it will be more years. What I'm thinking about principally is like an Ashik and a Jinsa for, uh, I don't know, a Reggie Jackson, who the Pistons are desperate to to offload. And in exchange, they get one year of bad salary where the Pelicans take on three years of bad salary. Another instance I would think is like a Jensen, a first round pick for Jonathan Simmons uh, of the Orlando Magic. What What would you do at this point? Are you on board with David or do you think the Pelicans have to do something at this point? Well, I absolutely understand what David is coming from. And if they're going to go all in, it needs to be – I don't think – I'm not going to say they shouldn't go all in on anyone, but if they go all in, it needs to be a guy that you can still sell for the future, that you can sell people on for the future, you know? Uh, you can't be a guy that's, that you're looking for one or two years out of to get this team to be a championship team because that's, that's ridiculous. It's not going to work. It's funny we're on this topic right now. Like Twitter's blowing up with the news of Kimball Walker uh, – being on the block, so everyone's throwing out their their trade suggestions to try to get him uh, onto the Pelicans. Which I I do I want to say really quickly I don't see any chance that the Pelicans have to give them the best offer for a guy like Kimball Walker. The team just has such little value and such little assets outside of the um outside of the picks that it's it's so tough to trade for guys. You have to really try to strike gold somewhere where no one's looking. You have to try to find a diamond in the rough. And it's that that's so, so hard to find. Um I don't think I would be on board with with adding in like a Reggie Jackson, maybe a Jonathan Simmons, but the the dead money and, and more years on bad contracts is just a it's just gonna leave this team in a situation they've been in for so long for longer into the future. And it's just I want to see how this team would 
would forecast if they they didn't have so much tied up money. Well, I see the Kemba report you're talking about right now, Adrian Wojnarowski uh, saying that the Hornets are making Kemba available. And this is something that's been getting a lot of attention recently. The Hornets are, I don't know, seven to 10 games out of 500. They're not contesting in the East right now. And they're a very expensive team. Uh, Of course, everybody knows about Nicholas Batum's big contract and Michael Kidd Gilchrist, uh, as well as their center, among others. Uh, But Kemba seems inevitably to me to go to the Knicks at some point because they just have the assets available to go and get him. Frankie uh, Nilakina and a first round pick, some kind of back lottery thing is probably all it will take at this point. But like you said, the the Pelicans just don't have what it takes, first of all, to to get somebody like him. And second of all, even if they did, it would take a lot to get him and pairing him next to Drew Holiday, like you said, uh, could work and obviously it would make them even more explosively offensively but you're just taking the ball away from DeMarcus Cousins and Anthony Davis at that point that's not necessarily what the Pelicans need either uh one one person uh Andrew was talking about you know you've got to invest in somebody who can be with the team for the future immediately comes to my mind somebody like TJ Warren who might not be part of the Phoenix Suns plans going forward he is still very young I think he's around 25 and he just signed like a four-year 50 million dollar deal but that could be a scenario where an expiring next year like Omar Ashik and a first round pick might just be all that it takes uh let's let's keep this line of thinking going David but let's let's transition to Mike James he's somebody who uh the Pelicans just got the Suns did a, a very peculiar move in adding him as a two-way player, getting him a couple of games. You can only add up a player for 45 days before you have to give them a full contract. And they guaranteed his contract, and then they released him just a week or two later. So now he's available. He's with the Pelicans. He's he's an energy guy. He's a guy that you wouldn't think of as an NBA body. Um, and shooting, he, he hasn't done a lot of that either, 38% from the field and something like 28% from three. But But he is... Right now, the Pelicans need energy. They need guys like Tony Allen and Mike James who can just hit the floor, just run around, cause some disruption, get those loose balls. Do you think there's a a place in the Pelicans lineup right now, David, for Mike James? Well, what I don't understand is that, you you, you know, the Pelicans added James and they added DeAndre Liggins, and those guys haven't really gotten off the bench. Um, I know James just got there, but again, with the minutes that they've gotten from Jameer Nelson, I don't know what James could do that could possibly be worse. Um, he does provide some athleticism. Uh, he's he's pretty good with his assist-to-turnover ratio. Uh, and I think what they need, rather than, you know, another scoring guard, is somebody who can help run the offense. Uh, you know, the biggest problem with Rondo, like we've said, is that he runs the offense, but his defense is terrible. So if Jack, if James can come in and play some solid defense, and, and I think his athleticism – um, lends itself to being able to stay in front of guards a little bit better. He won't reach as much. Um, I, I think he could be a, a solid addition. Again, you're not going to ask him to play 20 minutes a night, but if he can give you 12 to 15 minutes of dependable uh, ball handling and solid defense paired with an Ian Clark and uh, Darius Miller on that second unit or even giving some spot minutes with the first unit, um, I think he could be um, an asset uh, to the team. But I'd like to see him get on the floor. I mean, we just haven't had enough to to judge whether he has value at this point. And we know that that Coach Gentry sometimes has uh, you know a, um, little patience for newcomers when they first arrive. So we'll have to see if maybe during this uh, upcoming stretch he tries to work him into the lineup a little bit more. But I definitely think he has some skills that could uh, contribute uh, to the Pel- – they don't need more offense but they do need more defense, and I think he could do uh, be some support there. And, Andrew, they're playing one of the worst teams in the NBA right now, the Memphis Grizzlies, record-wise, at least Mike Conley still being out. is, And, of course, they have the Bulls coming up on Monday, followed by the Hornets and Kemba Walker, as we were talking about. Is, is tomorrow night a, a good opportunity to finally see some minutes from Mike James? Where would you like to see him in the lineup, and how many minutes would you like to see him play? Oh yeah, for sure. I think this whole entire stretch against these poor teams is uh is gonna be a good chance to see Mike James. The guy's gonna get his opportunity. You know, being a guard on this team is any D leaguers, two way contract guy's dream because you're gonna get your chance to play with how poorly Jameer's been and that the team and the fact that the team isn't really trusting Rondo right now because of his other issues other than playmaking. So I, I think he's gonna be able to get his chance, but Again, he needs to play. I'd like to see him play uh, in this stretch, but if this team goes and they play terrible, if they come out and have a horrible half, 
I don't think Gentry's going to risk it uh, having a guy that hasn't been on the team too long, and he's probably going to just play Drew more minutes and Ian more minutes and Etuan more minutes to try not to lose the game. Uh, as this team can build any kind of rhythm and any kind of comfortable lead, I'd like to see him in there. I, I can't really predict how many minutes, um, ideally. I'd like to see him around 10, 15 minutes in each of them, but that's just to build up a comfortable a comfortable enough lead to where they can experiment with Mike James with a few of the, the core guys. Yeah, Jameer Nelson has been averaging about 13 minutes per game in six games in January, so I was... I was really just uh, offering up his minutes to Mike James, or perhaps the two could split it and do it about six and six apiece and see a good glimpse of him tonight. With that being said, I'll go back to David. Memphis has won three of four games, uh, including that game against the Pelicans a week and a half ago. So they're they're not going to roll over. They're 15 and 28. They most recently beat the Knicks in Memphis as well as the Lakers. And this is one that the Pelicans have to have. You don't want to experiment too much. You need to come out and sort of step on their throat, and they are in the, the second night of a back-to-back, although both games are at home. They're going to be facing the Kings tonight. We'll know a little bit more about them uh, then, and we'll we'll be able to see firsthand some guys who might be on the trade block, like Tyreek Evanson and James Ennis, who might even be auditioning for the Pelicans. Who knows? Wouldn't that be a, a fun day? But just how seriously do the Pelicans have to take the Memphis Grizzlies tomorrow night, uh, being that they just beat them a week and a half ago, but but also being that this is – this is one that the Pelicans have to have. They need to start rolling again with these three winnable games before they, they go off to face the Rockets. How much tinkering would you do at this point of the season, or do you think the Pelicans need to just come out and step on these guys' throats? Well, they have to establish some kind of this team, like not just the previous loss, but, I mean, this, they're 0-2 against Memphis this season. So we know that Memphis presents some, some uh, matchup difficulties for them. Mark Gasol is, is obviously a problem for Boogie because he goes out and, and can shoot from range and he forces Boogie to to go close out on him as a shooter. And in the last game, we saw that that the rotations were very slow in getting out to Gasol. And then the post defense wasn't great on him. In the second half, he was able to get hook shots in the lane, even though that's not his primary uh, weapon. Um, Tyreek was also a big problem uh, on the wing. He was able to get to the basket and do Tyreek type things. So they know these players. They played against them enough. Uh, but Memphis has shown still, they may not be the, the grindhouse that they were before, the grit and grind guys, but they've still shown against the Pelicans, at least, that they're willing to fight. And, and like you said, with their recent play, they're showing that they're not as bad as their record may indicate. They've had some injuries as well to deal with this year. But against the Pelicans, I don't think that their pride will say that we want to lose this game since we've beaten them twice. So the Pelicans have to come out again. But the thing with the Pelicans that's always frightening is we've seen them have great first quarters and establish, and you say, oh, man, they've come out on fire. And then the second quarter, there's a retreat, and we end up at a tie score at halftime. So, um, you know, it's not just enough to establish dominance early. They have to to play you know, 45, at least good minutes of basketball and start believing that they can do that. Uh, and you have to beat teams with records below 500 and you have to win at home, which have been all things that the Pelicans have struggled against. So they shouldn't be taking anything lightly at this stage. All right, Andrew, we've got, sorry, go ahead. Because um, that's a good point that they've made. And I know something that me and him talk about a lot is that this team comes out and they, they, this team might be the most cockiest, overconfident 500 team in history. They come out against teams like the Bulls, the Hornets, and the Grizz, and then they, they if they do get on a, a good run in the first and start the game good, you know, you'll see them relax a little bit. You'll see them play a little bit looser. You'll see them kind of slow things down and say, oh, don't worry, we got this, in their body language. So that's something that really needs to get fixed. This team needs some some a better awareness, better focus, and needs to play as hard as they can for 48 minutes, no matter the lead. Yeah, and that all starts with Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins. Uh, our MVP of the season, we just did uh, midseason grades a few days ago with Ali Cosell, and Kevin Berrios was true holiday because he is somebody uh, that – I don't know, according to our opinions, at least, is a guy who gives 100%. He's right up there leading the team uh, in minutes alongside DeMarcus Cousins. And the guy gives full effort, but 
But this le- this team is too often led by the energy and and the buy-in of guys like DeMarcus Cousins and, and Anthony Davis. And, and we've seen those guys slack off at times. And we've seen the the rest of the team uh, respond in kind, talking about guys like Jameer Nelson and Rajon Rondo and Etwan Moore and Dante Cunningham from time to time. Just not being invested. I'm not, I'm not making an, an attack on this guy. But just like you said, the group collective as a whole responds to their leaders and follows suit. And you need somebody like like, I don't know, a DeAndre Liggins or a Tony Allen uh, to come in there and inject this team with with a little bit of enthusiasm in second halves. So like I said, best in the league in the first half, 21st in the league in the second half. So we'll continue talking about what that might mean for the Pelicans going forward and how how Alvin Gentry can get them to give uh, 100%, you know, for 48 minutes. But but right now, let's, let's transition a little bit uh, towards a bigger, not a bigger topic, a different topic. The All-Star starters were just announced, and I'll throw this over to David. Uh, we all expected Anthony Davis to be a starter, but but alongside him, uh, Draymond Green was leading the voting at some points. A lot of people had LaMarcus Aldridge in that spot at center as well, but it inevitably went to, to DeMarcus Cousins, and a really great article on TheRinger.com. There's a spot from Justin Barrier, and I don't have the quotes in front of me, but I'll look it up while David is talking. Just basically saying that if, if you look at the pure statistics, it, it seems like DeMarcus Cousins has to be in the in the game. His uh, statistics in, in some ways look better than Anthony Davis's. But for the people who watch the games and, and see that DeMarcus Cousins has had over five turnovers for seven games straight now, they know that not only does he not belong as a starter necessarily, but Justin argues that maybe he doesn't even belong on the team. Obviously, that's a stretch and, and one that could be very reactionary for a lot of Pelicans fans. But he has had that kind of up and down season where at, at some points he's the best player on the floor and at other points it seems like he's killing you. David, what is your perspective on, on the Pelicans for the first time ever having two all-star starters and then your perspective on that second player being DeMarcus Cousins? I mean, obviously, it's good for the franchise as far as their national uh, profile when you have two all-stars. That means that the eyes of the basketball world will be, um, you know, more tightly focused on the Pelicans through the second half of the season. And that's a double-edged sword. I mean, on the one hand, it ra- like, like I said, it raises the profile. But then on the other, uh, people are going to start wondering if a team has two all-star starters, why are they so middling? Um but as far as DeMarcus individually, there's a lot of discussion from some national writers about whether or not um, he belongs as a starter. Um, I think he did not. Uh, he was fourth in the, the fan voting. He was fourth in the uh, um, coaches voting. Uh, voting, but third amongst the players. And, 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 you know, if you watch ESPN, you know, you'll see during the jump, Tracy McGrady, Paul Pierce, they're guys who are really big on DeMarcus Cousins, but they don't talk about Anthony Davis. And I think it's because of the way Boogie plays that it, that gets him um, a lot of support from the other players. Um, there's a flash to it, and his highs are very high. But again, the numbers, the deeper numbers show that he has a negative effect overall on the team when he's on the floor, especially defensively. Um, and that that Anthony in particular suffers when he plays with DeMarcus. Uh, so I think there there are legit concerns. I think he is an all-star based on his level of production, but I don't think he's worthy of being a starter. All right, Andrew, here are the words by Justin Verrier on the ringer.com today. He said, sending two players to the league's marquee event is a game changer for a franchise still very much trying to find a footing in its football-obsessed market. But because of all the bad he brings along with those gaudy numbers, you could argue that Cousins doesn't deserve a spot in the All-Star game altogether, let alone a starting role. What's your take on this, Andrew? Well, I disagree with that. I I do think that he's, without a doubt, an All-Star. But he is probably the most frustrating All-Star to watch in the NBA. Um. His talent, without a doubt, is all-star at starter level, but it's the bonehead plays. It's the lazy fouls. It's the complaining for not getting back. It's all of those other things that when you watch him, you say, "Is he?" it's what makes you question yourself of whether he's an all-star or not. But uh, I guess it all depends on who. what, what do you think is the serve, uh, deserving of a of an all-star is it specifically on your talent is it on your team play is it a combination of all if you go with a combination of all i think you can make a strong argument that he shouldn't be a starter 
Um, and that's pretty much what I got on that. I do think he's an all-star. I think he's an iffy starter. You can go one way or the other, depending on your view of what an all-star should be. Um, and I don't really lean one way or the other. If he wasn't a starter, I don't think he would have been snubbed. And he is a starter. I don't think that it's snubbed to anyone else. And I think it's an interesting point of the season to uh, vote for all-stars. And I always think it's so interesting in baseball and basketball, how the teams are selected at the midway point in the seasons when the season is still forming itself. Uh, at the point where much of this voting was taking place, the, the Pelicans were the sixth seed. Now, of course, they're the seventh seed. But you've got, like I said, the Thunder and the Nuggets at five and nine, just within two games of each other. And based on where those teams fall, a lot of those all-star uh, votes can can skew one way or the other. Let's say the Clippers were able to climb up to the fifth seed. Then you've got a lot more talk about DeAndre Jordan and that sort of thing. So just Nikola Jokic, let's say, who's been injured for a good portion of the season, but is another player who, if they're at the fifth seed and the Pelicans are at the ninth seed, maybe some of those votes go that way. So it, it is a, a very difficult time to, to pick a guy. And I think that DeMarcus Cousins is, is certainly deserving, although I completely agree with everything you guys said about getting back on defense, being lackadaisical from time to time, just in terms of uh, sheer sheer power, sheer power force numbers, games that he's just taken over by himself. I, I don't want anybody to think that we're taking away from his accompli- accomplishments with the Pelicans. And hopefully this begins to translate. Uh, let's let's get to some some preview for the upcoming games. We did a little bit with the Grizzly. Of course, we've got the Bulls, and then we've got the Hornets, uh, who, by all accounts, hopefully might be minus their all-star Kemba Walker by the time we get to them, although that seems highly improbable at this point. Let's go over to David. Uh, Three-game, very winnable slate. What do you see the Pelicans doing this upcoming week? Um, you know, following their pattern, I think it's probably another two-in-one stretch. Uh, you know, uh, we've talked about Memphis, that matchup. I think Chicago presents problems in certain areas. Um, Justin Holiday, uh, his length, uh, and he seems to perform well against Drew. Um, when they play against each other, I think they heighten each other's level of play. Um, and then with their outside shooting, especially uh, with uh, Merkin and, uh, and the way he's been shooting lately, you know, he, he, he can, you know, teams get hot against the Pelicans from outside. And so if they can volume shoot their three pointers, they could be a problem. And of course, you have Robin Lopez, who's a very dependable player in the post who can defend and, and will do dirty work and will attack the offensive glass. So they're going to have to deal with him as well. I think, you know, obviously the Bulls don't have a great bench, but Chris Dunn has been playing very well as of late. So I think the Bulls present some problems. Um, they are not a great road team. But again, those are the types of games that the Pelicans struggle with. And then when you go to Charlotte, if Kimball Walker is still on the roster, He's obviously somebody who can get hot very quickly. Dwight Howard, again, will crash the boards, will play and still play solid defense. And you look at their perimeter defenders in guys like Michael Kidd, Gilchrist. Um, and then, you know, they still have some length up front as well with another Zeller brother. So um, I think the Hornets have issues that they can present for the Pelicans as well. So one of those games in typical Pelicans fashion will probably be a close loss. Um, and I expect them to go two and one. And then they go on that stretch with Houston and the Clippers. So it could be a very tough stretch um, that we thought was going to be a little bit easier. Andrew, what's your take on the upcoming three games? Like I said earlier, all three games, I would flip a coin. It wouldn't surprise me if this team goes 3-0 and or 0-3. You know, this team, I can see multiple ways that they lose to each of these teams. I can see Mark Gasol going absolutely off because of how we defend three-point shooting big men and versatile big men. Marcus Hall is a good passer. You know, he, he he's kind of a do-it-all guy. Uh, he's like Chicago, Boogie Light. Honestly, yeah, <laughs> he is. You know, those guys those guys are so similar except for a little bit more of the uh, hustle for Marcus Hall. Um, we might get outran by Chicago. They can just straight up, you know, it's, it's so disturbing when a bad team can just beat such a talented team like the Pel- well talent to a certain extent they're, they're very top heavy but a team that that has so much more talent than the Bulls the Bulls can still win just by playing harder running faster and crashing the glass cra- crashing for offensive rebounds because they know the Pelicans aren't going to box out which is why they do things like beat Boston and lose to Atlanta you know so 
I, I never predict this team. I never feel comfortable. I will not spend a dime betting on this team. I'm going to talk in the alley after a few uh, of our home games, and it would be against, like, Dallas. And he'll say, okay, who you got? I'm like, I have no clue. And then it'll be against Houston. He'll say, who you got? I'm like, I got no clue. You know, this team is just a team that's so inconsistent that you can't predict them. All right, David, I've got a trade proposal from Johnny, Louisiana. He says, in total, we could send Etwan Moore, Czech Diallo, Frank Jackson, and two first-round picks to the Charlotte Hornets in exchange for Kemba Walker. Is this something that you would explore? <laughs> okay, Kemba Walker. First of all, the two, just take the players away. And you're giving the Hornets two first-round draft picks for Kimball Walker. Just stop right there. Because Kimball Walker, as good as he is, is an undersized And the Pelicans have those in spades. And I know you're trying to trade one for the other by giving up. Frank Jackson is an unknown commodity, and I don't see the, the Hornets taking him on, especially coming off the injury, which makes it, you know, the the adjustment period, a 19-year-old point guard, that that's two years down the road before you expect to see something out of him. Um, Chick Diallo, again, another guy who's an unknown quantity for most teams. I don't know if they're willing to take a risk on him. I just don't see where that that deal is great for the Horn. Um, it does anything then decimate the depth for the Pelicans and mortgage the future. Yeah, I'm on board with you. It just seemed like a fun scenario. But like we said earlier, the Pelicans' problems right now are on defense. Offense is not their problem. So they definitely do not need somebody who's going to come in and and demand the basketball at all times. They need somebody who can space the floor. Uh, Basically, a a shooter in Rajon Rondo's mold who's uh, a bit better defensively. I don't know who that guy will be, but I'm sure the Pelicans will will keep exploring. And uh, we, as the media and fans, We'll, we'll keep contemplating. Uh, let's let's go over to one more question before I let you guys go. Obviously, uh, Drew Holiday has been spectacular this year, Andrew, in addition to Anthony Davis and DeMarcus Cousins, uh, reaching all-star nods. But after that, we've got some guys, some role players like Rajon Rondo, Darius Miller, Etwan Moore, some guys who, had, who have stepped up at times and uh, really helped carry this team whenever they were low. Who Who is your most surprising player this year, Andrew? It's a close one for me. Um, so both of my guys are there's one, of course, Drew Holiday, and the other one is Darius Miller. Both of these guys started the season off so, so poorly. The, their, the start to their year was so bad and so frustrating, especially for Drew Holiday after getting this big contract. You know, he was getting so much backlash. Darius Miller wasn't getting as much backlash because we didn't really know what to expect from him coming back into the NBA after all these years overseas. But we, no one was happy with how either of them were playing. Drew Holly, of course, has a much bigger role, and he's just stepped it up on offense. And, you know, his defense has been pretty good even in the beginning of the year, but his offense was so terrible. I don't know how many games early on and honestly how many we might lose in the future giving him the ball late in games. But Outside of those last couple minutes, he's incredible. His defense has been fantastic this season. His offense has been actually pretty consistent, which is a great surprise. And Darius Miller is just money. Like I have not, I have no complaints about the way he's been playing lately. He goes, he's going to get in slumps. He's going to have bad shooting nights and even maybe even bad shooting weeks. But that's that's the life of a shooter. Um, those are my two guys. Everyone else. Uh, I'm, I haven't. Everyone else, I can't really put in that same cat class as them. Those guys have been the most surprising for me by far, especially given how poor they started the season off. All right, what about you, David? Yeah, I, I think I'd have the same too. Like you, um, when I did my uh, midseason grades for the Pelicans, I had Drew as the team's MVP. I mean, uh, he's second on the team and. Uh, defensive rating behind Anthony and he's first on the team in offensive rating. So, I mean, you know, Drew is having the best year of his career and I think he's added. Um, you know, I thought he had peaked at around 14, 15 points a game, but this year he's shown that he can be a consistent 20 point scorer um, in the league and, and his decision-making has gotten better. Again, 
like Andrew said, you don't, I don't know if you trust Drew in the last two minutes of a ball game to be the decision maker, but over the course of a game, he's turning the ball over less and taking better shots. Um, and then uh, with uh, Darius, I think, like you said, you, you didn't know what to expect with him being out of the NBA for a couple of years. Um, the biggest surprise for me for Darius is that he has an all around game and that he has not just been a shooter. He's been able to pump fake, get into the lane. He's been a willing passer and his defense, Defense has gotten better as the season has gone on. At first, it just seemed like he made a bad foul or two as soon as he entered the game. And you haven't seen as many of those mistakes from him um, as the season has progressed. I think also his he's been a very um, steadying influence for that second unit just because his demeanor doesn't change. Uh, he doesn't get too high when he's shooting well, and he doesn't uh, really um, lose confidence in his shot when it's not going down. So, yeah, I, I absolutely agree with Drew that those are the two uh, biggest uh, surprises this season. Yeah, and I know Isn't if Kevin was. how Darius. Sorry. Go ahead, Andrew. Oh, isn't it crazy how uh, Darius started the season off so poor and then now he's just consistent and everyone I talked to within the team had just, just one simple answer was it was confidence. It was It was him getting comfortable. That's it. It's amazing how much better these guys can play when they're just not rattled. And you can say the same thing for Drew Holiday. A, a lot earlier in the year, uh, a lot of people suspected it was just his confidence. He and and one thing for sure that I know is indecisiveness. He's a lot more decisive. Me and Dave talk yes. about it all the time uh, during the games. When Drew Holiday thinks, you can see him thinking, and that's when Drew Holiday is at his worst. You know, uh, and actually when both of them are at their worst, but Drew Holly especially because he'll be bad. He won't he won't shoot. Once he starts thinking, he will not shoot. And he had an amazing game, I remember, at Toronto. Uh, I forget how many points he, he put up. We lost the game, but Drew played amazing. And the very next game was at home, and I believe he took about four shots, which was, which was just mind-blowing to me. And you can see him just thinking the entire game. When the season progressed, he stopped. He's he's stopping as much thinking in in the middle of the play, and he's just playing off of instinct. And that's that's what has Drew Holiday playing so well. And for everyone who wants to discredit Rajon Rondo, you guys are absolutely right with with your takes, not just on Drew, but also on Etwan Moore and Darius Miller. If anything, if Kevin was here, I know he'd say uh, pretty much what I'm going to say is that we'd actually like to see more from Etwan Moore and Darius Miller. We'd like to see them take more ownership of offensive uh, possessions. That that runner and floater that Etwan Moore uh, has continued developing is is just automatic at times. He's a great finisher whenever he does attack the glass. Uh, I'd like to see Darius Miller attack the paint a bit more. Like you guys said, he has that pump fake at the three-point line. He takes three steps forward. And Matt, that mid-range jumper is money. I feel like it goes in 100 out of 100 times. I'd love to see him create a bit more. and Very, very underrated as well. Yeah, and and feel feel more confident creating and and creating some of, uh, more of those opportunities for themselves rather than just sitting back at the three point line. One point that I did want to make about Rajan Rondo before we go on ahead is uh, for all the discrediting that we've been giving him lately, you can track a lot of the confidence and a lot of the success of these guys like Drew Holiday to his return on November thirteenth against the Atlanta Hawks. Even though these guys have come back to earth a bit uh, as far as shooting goes. Uh, Darius Miller and Etwan Moore are back to 42 and 44% from three-point shooting on the season. None of these guys were putting up the numbers offensively that they have been putting up ever since Rajon Rondo got into the lineup. He he got the ball into these guys' hands exactly where they needed it. The ball started moving around the floor a little bit better, getting those backdoor cuts to Drew Holiday that he's so lethal at. And, and it has, like you guys said, given them the confidence to become more efficient scorers and even though Rajon Rondo's numbers aren't as uh, impressive as maybe they were at that point in the season, especially the, the defensive rating, you have to trace back the success of this offense to a lot of the stuff that he does on that end of the floor. Would you agree with that at all, David? Yeah, I, I think the, the, you know, there are times when you see Rondo on the floor that the biggest thing that he contributes is that he gets people in the right place. Um, the one thing you notice when he's not on the floor is that especially on the opposite, the weak side of the basketball, you will see no movement. Um, and then you also see a lot more drifting with DeMarcus when Rondo's not on the floor. He seems to be the only one capable of forcing him down into the paint. 
so yeah, his he certainly I think you know that boost that he gave Drew initially is what's carrying Drew t- now. I don't think he's a magic feather. Like, I don't know if you ever saw Dumbo. You know, he had the magic feather. He thought that's what he needed to fly. And then it was gone. He could still fly. Um, And I think that's kind of what it's been for Drew. He thought he needed Rondo initially. But we're seeing that Drew's numbers have continued to stay high when Rondo's off the floor. So, yeah, I think the, the, the what passing is contagious and Rondo brings that to the table. And there are passes that he can make that no one else on that, maybe no one else in the league can make. Um, and you see those. Um, so definitely. And I think there's a comfort level that DeMarcus has with him, having played with him before. And then, of course, the Kentucky corner. Now that there are five guys on this team on that roster, there's an, there's some bond between them. So I think there is a natural com- comfort. There's You see the the post that Anthony had on social media about welcome to Scandyland. And <laughs> I don't know what all those things mean yet, um, but they've each given each other these names that start with scandal in some way. Um, but, you know, clearly there's there is a camaraderie that Rondo has brought to the team. And I think that's what they were hoping for. But, you know, those defensive issues just make it so hard to keep him on the floor for more than 20 minutes. What about you, Andrew? Do you know what Scandyland means? Oh, not not a, not at all. I don't know what Scandyland <laughs> means. And I don't know what Skull means when Viking fans or when when the uh, Timberwolves fans were chanting that. None of, none of those none of those things I don't understand at all. But one thing I do want to make very clear to fans, when we criticize guys like Rondo, it's not that we're against Rondo. Like, I love Rondo. I know a lot of other guys in the media love Rondo and his personality and his attitude, the way he is with the media and what he brings on the floor. But the fact that when we call for him to to be benched or we wonder why he's not being benched all of the time isn't because Rondo himself is playing bad. It's because of the effect that having him on the floor lets other teams defend our other players. It makes things tougher on our other guys. So you might need to pull a guy, even if he's playing average or okay, you might need to pull him, put in another player that might be a lesser player, but a bigger threat to shoot, to open the floor a little guy and let guys get into the lane. You know, we're not going after Rondo, attacking Rondo, or blaming Rondo for everything. A lot of these things are everyone's fault. When the defense is playing bad, it's not just Rondo playing bad defense. It'll be DeMarcus playing bad defense and Anthony playing bad defense. But we're not going to pull Anthony and DeMarcus. That's throwing the game away. You know, we, we're not going to pull Drew Holiday if he's having a subpar night on offense because he brings so much on the other hand. And we can't do the same for each one and more when he's having a bad defensive game because he opens up the floor so much. I believe, is he still leading the league in three-point percentage? Like, we need guys like that on the floor. So our other players can play off of that space that they create. So that's the reason why a lot of the media is going after Rondo and saying, hey, Rondo, a lot of times we can't play this guy. You know, it's not an attack on Rondo. It's just the effect that having him have, the effect that he has when he's on the floor on other players. And especially if he's not having that extreme control of the game, and the guys are already in their set, then you kind of don't need Rondo out there and you can put in another shooter if Drew has the control of the ball to where he can actually play kind of like a point guard. Well said. Uh, I just want to add on to that. We we don't mean to attack any of these guys. Uh, you know, we're we're fans at the end of the day as much as we are trying our best to report and get you guys the best information on what the Pelicans are doing and what they're about to do. So uh, no disrespect to any of these guys. Uh, we love having them on the team, and we just want to see them put it all together. Thank you so much, uh, Andrew Smith of Bourbon Street Shots. Again, you guys can follow him at Drew Productions and at Bourbon Street Shots, and also to our familiar friend David Grubb at DM Grubb and at Crescent City Sports, uh, as well as thank you, MC Tuman for the questions. Uh, anything you'd like to plug before I let you go, Andrew? Oh, no, that's it. I just want to say uh, again, Holly, I'm happy for you, happy for everything that's going on in your life. Absolutely, man. 100%. Uh, Ali is not only uh, my boss, I guess, the editor-in-chief to thebirdrights.com, but he's a good friend and a good guy, and uh, we were all very, very concerned for him. So glad that things all worked out uh, the way that they have. Uh, Before we proceed, David, do you want to add on to that? And is there anything that you want the fans to know about your work at Crescent City Sports? Um, Again, for Crescent City Sports, yeah, just go review that Pelicans uh, midterm report card. and then you know, again, just you know, Ollie's been a, a great friend uh, ever since uh, you know I met him two years ago, 
and uh, he's one of the great people in his business. And I'm just glad, you know, everything has worked out for him and, and uh, his the situation that he's been going through. And, um, you know, just just my thoughts are with him. And, and I'll be glad the next time I see him just to just to to know that he's better and yeah. that everything's good with him. Well said. All right. Thank you to Andrew and David. Once again, thank you guys for listening. If you want to do one more favor for us, make sure you subscribe, retweet, rate us on iTunes. We really appreciate all of your help. But that's it for now, sports fans. We'll be back over the weekend. Kevin's going to be back with us either Saturday or Sunday for check back for that. And hopefully we give you guys a three-game win streak here and uh, get into that fifth seed uh, in front of the Thunder. For now, you guys, let's go Pels. Thank you for listening to the Bird Rise on Nothing But Net Network here on Dash Radio. If you like what you're hearing, take one minute to go to iTunes, search the Bird Rise, subscribe, and rate our podcast today. Let's go, pals. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Technology Truths, brought to you by GEICO. Technology Truths. Truth. Teenagers can communicate entirely in emojis. How was the birthday party? Pizza slice, kitten, soccer ball, pineapple? Truth. It's so easy to switch and save on car insurance at GEICO.com. What are you talking about? Paperclip, shoulder shrug, high five, Wizard hat? What? Geico. 15 minutes could save you 15% or more.